Alright, you guys can be seated. Thank you, band. Um, so, if you have your Bibles, uh, we are going to be in James chapter 4. If you're grabbing Bibles, raise your hand if you need a Bible. Um, you're going to be in James chapter 4. We're picking back up in our series uh, through James. Um, the goal is, is to get through this by the beginning of the school year. That's the hope. Um, but I don't want to rush through it either. Um, so if we run into a little bit of the school year, then that's okay. Um, but tonight, we are going to be looking at the first 12 verses. First 12 verses of James, um, chapter 4. So uh, go ahead and be opening those up. And while, I'm op- while you guys are opening those up, um, I'm going to set the context for this because I know it's been a while since we've been in... Uh, in Wednesday night and talk through James. So um, the context is important because right before this, uh, this passage that we're about to talk about, um, if you remember, we talked about wisdom from above and wisdom from the world. And literally in the passage before it, it talks about how the wisdom of the world is built on selfishness and jealousy and envy. And that ultimately it leads to, to destruction. And then the wisdom of God that comes from above um, is sown in peace. Okay, And that's really important because um, he just literally finished talking about how a righteous person sows peace. And then he jumps into uh, chapter 4. And of course, when he originally wrote this letter, there were no verses and there were no chapters. So when you see a break in, the, um, in a chapter and a verse, like that's added in afterwards. So to read it as a complete thought is important. So I'm going to start at uh, verse 13 of 3. And we're going to read through the entire passage. okay? And then we're going to talk through the passage um, that we're talking about tonight, which is uh, verses uh, 1 through 12. Um, so James chapter 3, verse 13 is where we're going to beginning. begin. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Okay, so now he's about to contrast what he was just talking about, where like the um, harvest is um, brought about by peace when he jumps into uh, the next verse. He says, what causes quarrels and causes uh, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? So obviously the opposite of peace. Okay, um, is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it in your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scriptures say he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So then he moves into what what our response should be. Submit yourselves... Therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter turn into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges of the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So, so the context is that he's talking about what it looks like to sow righteousness um, and to sow peace right before this. And then he jumps into, okay, so what's causing the fights and quarrels among you? What's causing you guys to be at odds with one another, okay? And so if you have your, um, your sheets in front of you, um, we have plenty of pens, so if your pen's not working, just look in another chair, grab a pen. Um, but we're going to be jumping through this uh, and filling in those blanks, and we're going to talk our way through this passage. And the point of tonight, the goal of tonight, is to talk about what it means to challenge our arrogance, because ultimately, um, this passage is driving at what arrogance there is to, to set yourself up against a brother or a sister. What arrogance do you have to have in order to become a judge of that person when there's only one true judge and one true lawgiver? That It takes a very prideful person to do that. And so James starts highlighting this, that, that instead of submitting to God, a lot of these people were, were doing the complete opposite, right? And so we're going to talk through this, and hopefully through this um, we'll be able to uh, parse apart some of the reasons behind why people were doing that and um, ultimately get to the point where we uh, have a challenge to ourselves because, yes, this was written to first century um, <coughs> Uh, the first century church that had been dispersed, right, um, because of the persecution. But as you and I both know, Scripture is living and active. And so as we read this, imagine as if James had written this to Las Casas, Tennessee, specifically our student ministry, okay? Because I'm not um, naive enough to uh, not know that at times gossip and tearing one another apart happens in our student ministry. And if it doesn't happen here, it definitely happens at school. Okay, so I have some head nods, like definitely, okay? So... So this is a very real and practical thing that he's talking about. And, and of course, we talk about a lot of times in um, LSM about how they're going to know us by the love that we have for one another. We actually talked about that this past Sunday as well. And so, so ultimately, like, like they're going to know us as believers by the love that we show for one another, one another and the love that we show for other people. So if I'm tearing another person down or treating them like trash, then that's not being a good witness, period. There's no way around it. Right, and so he's just highlighting this. So we're gonna we're gonna plow through this. Um, I'm not gonna tell this story. We're gonna skip past this. If you want to know the story, I can tell it to you later. Um, it's a tale about a beautiful horse wanting to be um, more than what it was, and but I know, right? It's a very beautiful horse. But we're gonna skip past it. I just wanted to leave it up there so you could look at it. Okay. Um, so uh, we've already talked about the context, um, but just a few points from uh, the last part of chapter three: wisdom from above. And from the world was the uh, the topic that he was talking about. Wisdom from the world is built on selfishness and jealousy. And then the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace. So that's the context, okay? So in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, um, he asks a question directly after that. What causes fights and quarrels among you? And then he goes on to answer what causes fights and quarrels among them. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. So, so he's, he's highlighting that, that you desire things you don't have. Maybe your brother or sister in Christ or somebody beside you, your neighbor, keeping up with the Joneses, they have it. And you desire it, and you can't have it, so you murder. Now, obviously, um, more than likely, he wasn't talking about literal murder, like you're going to go now. 
you know, covetousness and, and desiring something and not being able to have it and letting that eat at you could drive you to the place of murder so that you can have whatever it is that, that you can't have. But um, as we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about how um, anger towards a brother is the same as murder, right? That if you harbor anger towards a brother or resentment towards a brother, that's the same as murder. So it's don't, don't uh, try to overthink it, okay, um, and think, well, I'm not murdering anybody um, because I, obviously I haven't ever like, killed anybody. But if you've held anger against somebody, especially because you desire something that they have, um, technically you've broken the law, right? Not, not the law of the United States, but the law in Scripture, okay? So um, you desire and you do not have. The second point that he makes is that you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Okay, so covet, coveting something um, is when you strongly desire something, okay? So there was a period of life um, where I went through uh, just recently. In fact, I kind of slip into this every so often, so let me just be real with you for a second. Okay, Aaron can probably figure out what I'm about to say. So, every so often, I get discontent with the uh, cars that we have, right? And, and I'm driving down the road, I'm driving down the road, and I see a sweet Roadrunner or Land Cruiser, and I literally will start saying this, right? Or a Jeep Wrangler, right? Anything that's more manly than a Prius or an Ultima, okay? All right. Anyways, so I become covet. I, I begin to covet. I want that thing. I look at that person in that Jeep rolling with the doors off, and I'm like, I want to be that guy. That guy's living the dream, right? And if I let that eat at myself, now the, the desire for a Jeep isn't necessarily wrong, but if I let that eat at me and I become resentful towards that person because they have a Jeep and I don't, or I become resentful even more so towards God because he hasn't blessed us with the financial means at this point to be able to purchase something like that, and I become resentful towards that, then absolutely that's going to turn me against the person that's beside me, right? Like I can look at the Jeep and say, that's a nice Jeep, but I can also look at the Jeep and say, that guy's a tool because I don't have his Jeep. Right? Or I like tear him apart because, well, he might. Who knows? Who knows? Okay. But um, what he's highlighting is, is that when we allow those desires and the coveting of something that we don't have um, to override um, the way that we treat people, then that's where we, we slip into um, coveting and, and so forth. Okay. So let's keep rolling. James chapter 4, um, verse 2b. Uh, whenever you see that, by the way, sometimes verses, when people talk about verses, and they're talking about the first part of it, they'll put like 4A, and the second part of it, 4B, it's kind of like a run-on sentence. So that's a way that you notate that. So if you ever are being taught about Scripture and that's up there, then now you know, okay? All right, great. Um, okay, so the real reason that they don't have isn't because they haven't fought for it, isn't because they haven't coveted enough. The real reason is that they don't ask, right? Okay, but... There's a disclaimer right after this because a lot of people will say, well, you should just ask in faith and just, you know, believe that God's going to give you that Jeep, right? Um, and, and if you believe enough and you trust God enough, then he's going to give it to you, right? The prosperity gospel is what we oftentimes call that, where it's like you just, you name it, you claim it, you believe it, and God will give it to you. And if you give something, then God will replenish it tenfold, Okay. This is not what he's talking about. In fact, he's not saying, hey, go and ask for a Jeep Wrangler, Jonathan. And if you ask properly, then God's going to give it to you because there's this disclaimer. When they ask, they ask selfishly. Again, this goes back to the desires in their heart before they, like even if they ask, they're asking for selfish reasons, right? So it's not about bringing glory to God. It's not about asking um, that God's will be done. It's about asking that my will be done and that God, um, that he caters to me. Right? And you, you begin to pick up on the arrogance in this. 
right? And so, so a lot of people, um, especially good Christian kids, right? And I was one of them. Um, we go through life and, and maybe we bought in completely to, you know, what the church is saying, like, don't party, you know, like, go to church all the time and like, we're really good. And then somewhere along the line, something happens and something is taken away from us. And we have the audacity, like little children, to turn towards God and to say, I deserve X. I don't deserve this. Like, we have the prideful arrogance to turn towards him and to say, listen, you're indebted to me because I've been such a good boy or good girl. We're totally missing the point. You see how prideful and arrogant that is? It would be like walking up to one of the most powerful men or women in the world and to like audaciously be like, oh, you owe me this. Well, no, they don't. No, they don't. And so, so again, it's getting back to the heart of it. Like, it's not about the selfishness and it's not about the pride. Like, or it is about the selfishness and it is about the pride and that we're trying to move towards humility and submission towards God. Now, fact of the matter is, is that God's a good God. He wants to give to us and we're about to get into that. He wants to give us good things. But that doesn't mean that we get to ask selfishly for things because when He gives us things, He expects us to steward them for His glory. You following me? Okay. So, um, they ask selfishly. So even if they ask, first off, they don't ask, but even if they ask and they ask selfishly, then it, that's the reason that they don't have. This thing stopped working. Okay. Okay, so um, their selfishness proves that they love the world is the next point, and that's in James chapter 4, 4 through 6. Um, and love of the world makes you an enemy of God. Now, this is a super hard point, right? Because it's like, okay, what exactly is love of the world? Um, but in multiple places in Scripture, it's very clear that you cannot serve both God and money. Or you cannot serve mammon, um, the God of money, and God. Or you cannot give yourself over, like in this verse, if you love the world and you, you, you are adulterous, thank you so much, Aaron, um, you are adulterous with your heart and saying like, God isn't good enough because He hasn't given me X, Right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my heart and I'm going to make friends with people that are at odds with God because they have a way to give me that thing. You guys following me? So so again, it's prideful and arrogant. It's like, oh God, as long as you're patting my cushions and I'm good to go and now you're giving me what I want and like everything in life is lining up. But as soon as I don't feel like that you're you're giving me what I want, then I'm going to turn. I'm going to take my heart from you. Thank you so much for being the God in heaven that's like a genie. Now I'm going to turn. I'm going to be friends with the world that hates your guts. And I'm going to give my heart to them because I believe and I want what they have. And I want it so bad and you're not giving it to me that I'm going to go outside of our relationship to get it. That's what he's talking about. And that's why he says, you adulterous people. Like, that's strong wording. It's like, that's very strong wording. But that wording is used throughout the Bible where God's people take their heart and take it somewhere else. Where he says, I'm a good father that wants to give you good things. I want to be in relationship with you. And yet you go somewhere else. You adulterous people. And you see how that's connected to the desire and the covetousness? Covetous? Covetous? Anyways, coveting, okay, I can't say that word. The coveting, it's connected to that. Because if I didn't desire so deeply these things that I don't have, then I wouldn't be leaving God's side and saying, well, I'm just going to try to figure it out on my own. Because obviously you're not going to give them to me. Okay? All right, Aaron, you can click next slide. Thank you. Um, okay, so uh, there's, okay, so then, then there's the why. Okay, click the next slide. It's like, that didn't change. 
Okay, so um, in James chapter 4, verse 5, um, this is the because God is a jealous God. And it's so cool, okay, so, so because you line this up with what's said right before it, right, that this jealousy drives people to sin, right? It, this jealousy and this coveting things that they don't have drives them away from God and towards um, being friends with the world and giving themselves to the world. But then it says that God's jealous. Now, I don't know if you guys know Oprah Winfrey's um, testimony or not, but homegirl grew up in the church, okay? And she was at a church in New York one day, and the pastor was going on about how, you know, you know I don't know what passage he was specifically talking about, but said that God was jealous. And you know that at that moment, Oprah Winfrey decided that she no longer believed in that God. Because she couldn't believe that that God, that a God, that God can be jealous for, for her. That God can be a jealous God. If that's the God that, that God is, Yahweh, then she didn't want any part of Him. That's crazy. I mean, it's like, it's sad, but that's, that's what she, she and, and it was because of a faulty interpretation of what this actually means. He, he lays it out, and I don't know if this is next, Aaron, you can click on it. Um, okay. He lays it out, that's, that's the next part. But he lays it out, and this is what they say, right? That God's a jealous God, but he's jealous for what? The spirit that he's given you. He's jealous for you, right? So, so we can't think about this through human eyes, because human eyes will look at it, and if a human being is jealous, it's normally not a good thing. It's based out of insecurity. It's based out of fear of somebody leaving. It's based out of a lot of different things, but it's most of the time not a pure thing. But a perfect God can be perfectly jealous and not it, it not be tainted with the negative sinful nature that we have it tainted with. You following me? So that jealousy is is a a longing for your heart, a longing for you to give him all of your heart. And so so you see how it's connected with the adulterous um, mindset where it's like, okay, so God wants all of your heart. He's so jealous for you that he won't put up with anything less than that. And when you go outside of that relationship, he knows that's not what's best for you. And he's jealous and he longs and yearns for your heart to come back to him. It's like the prodigal son where we venture off into a distant land and the father is waiting, watching, waiting for the son to come back. That's the jealousy that we see and the love that we see that he has for us. It's not a jealousy like, well, can't believe that you left me and now I'm going to smite you, right? Or I'm afraid that you're going to leave me, so just don't. And I'm going to be against anything that could possibly do that. In fact, God honors us by giving the free will so whether we choose him and choose a relationship with him or not. Okay, so um, you don't have to click the next one here. Um, So in James chapter 4, verse 6, it says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Um, So... Uh, this is one of my favorite verses uh, in this passage. Um, but he opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And so so the proud is, is what he laid out at the beginning. It's the person that covets and desires. And the proud says to God, hey, thanks a lot, but I'm going to go outside of this relationship to get what I really want, which isn't really you, right? Arrogant, prideful. And we're all in that place at times. And especially before we know Jesus Christ, we're definitely in that place where we're searching anywhere and everywhere that we can in order to fill those voids in our hearts. And then we get in a relationship with God, and still, as Christians, we can turn away from God and towards the world and say, that job's going to give me what I really want. Or that girl or that guy's going to give me what I really want. Right? And, and, and then we give our hearts over and we forget about God. Okay. So, um, so what are we called to? 
Oh, well, hold on. Before we go to the next part. So, so that's the prideful arrogance. But the humble person submits themselves to God and says, anything that you give to me or take away from me, I humbly say that you are good enough for me and enough for me that I don't need to question that. Right? It's okay to question at times, but, but if that questioning moves us to drawing our hearts away from God and going to something else instead of Him, then we've gone too far. We've gone too far. And so it's okay to, to be in that space, but, but as a humble heart comes before God and we draw near to God, which we're about to see, when we draw near to God, He draws near to us. Okay, Aaron, you can hit the next one. So what are we called to? Go ahead and just, uh, yeah, tap it, tap it, tap it. Okay. Okay. So um, this is what we're called to, all right? So more than likely, we can relate with this person that's coveting and desiring things outside of God's will, and then we go outside of that relationship to find those things and to try to force them. So what, are, what is James calling the church to? What is James calling us to? Submit yourselves to God, okay? Resist the devil, and this is a promise. He will flee from you, okay? Draw near to God, another promise, and he will draw near to you. Repent, And so I love how he goes into um, that you should mourn, that you should grieve the fact that you have left this, this perfect relationship with God and gone somewhere else to try to find what you're looking for because it's found in God and God alone. So repent and then humble yourselves before the Lord. Okay? Humble, humble, humble yourselves before the Lord. Um, so just a, just a really quick point on resisting the devil because it's in there. Um, I know a lot of times uh, we, we uh, oftentimes say flee temptation, right? And that is true, okay? So when there's temptation there, yes, like flee. But that does not mean that, that when spiritual warfare hits, that we don't turn and fight. In fact, we see in this passage that when it's spiritual warfare, we're called to turn and to say absolutely no. And, and we see that with Jesus. He didn't turn tail and run. He turned back to, to Satan and he gave him scripture to back up what he was saying. Okay? And, and he, he rebuked him um, with those scriptures. So, so for us as, as Christians to pretend like spiritual warfare isn't a thing or to pretend like if spiritual warfare hits and I'm tempted or like there's, there's a potential that I'm tempted that I'm going to run the opposite direction, absolutely not. There's times that it's appropriate to run in the opposite direction. Okay? But there's also times that it's very appropriate in the authority of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit living within you to turn back towards that spiritual warfare and to say, no, in the name of Jesus Christ, absolutely not, and to bring Scripture against that. We are at war. We are at war. You are at war. There's a war going on for your heart and your soul. Even if you've given your heart to Jesus, and it doesn't mean that they can take it away, but if, if Satan can get us to a place where we're turning away from God towards a hundred different things, we might still have salvation, right? Because that's secure. But we're turning and we're, we're giving ourselves over to something that we totally weren't created for. And, and, and so, so we need to know that, that this is very real, the battle that you're in. Okay? But we have the promise that if we resist the devil, not in our own strength, okay, don't come and be like, in the name of Caleb, I rebuke you, right? No, don't do that. Okay, yeah, right. <laughs> um, but there's also a really crazy passage that I just read today, um, which is funny, in Acts, where um, there were some people that weren't Christians that were in, I think it was Ephesus, I could be wrong about that, um, that began to rebuke demons in the name of Paul and Jesus. And you know what those demons did? It's really crazy. 
they looked at them. Now, imagine this. This is creepy. They looked at the people that were doing that, and they said, Paul and Jesus we know, but who are you? Okay. Oh, snap. And then they attacked them. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so it's a perfect example of coming in an authority that's not really yours. I would not encourage you to do that. I know that you guys aren't casting out demons or whatever, but like in that spiritual warfare moment, remember that you stand in the authority of Jesus Christ and in the blood that he has shed for you, not underneath your own strength and being like, I know Bible verses, okay? Like, it's more than just knowing Bible verses. It's standing in the authority of Jesus Christ that he's given you, okay? All right, so that's resist the devil. Um, we can continue. I'm spent too much time on that. Okay, so in James chapter 4, 11 through 12, um, yeah, that's good. Um, James chapter 4, 11 through 12, um, James says to stop judging one another. Okay, let me ask you this question. Is it easier for you to see the good in somebody or the negative? It depends. Okay, it does depend. But, like, let's just say that you're just traveling through regular life. Would you say that you're generally more like, like, that person, like, is this, this, and this, and, like, you know, that, do you generally see the negative or do you generally see the positive? Okay, so, I think that that, and I can relate with that. Aaron and I can both relate with that, like, driving down the road and this guy cuts me off. I'm like, what a tool. Like, what, what is your problem? Like, today this guy was driving down the road. I probably shouldn't go into this, but whatever. Um, it bugged me so much that I just need a vent for a second. He, driving down 96, homeboy, and I don't know what it is. I think it's like the moon is a certain like you know phase or whatever, and then everybody just like just drives crazy. <laughs> Passed literally seven cars <laughs> on ninety six, and it was around a turn. And I was watching him, and I was like, because I was in the back, um, and I was thinking to myself like, he is about to get like hit head on because I can't even see up past. And I mean like it was like literally seven cars, and they were spread out. Like, it wasn't like seven cars that were back-to-back because there's a tractor there, okay? So anyways, there's people like that that I look at, and I'm like, what a tool, doesn't know how to drive, like, that's ridiculous and stuff. And, and I know that's a silly example, but I think that that says a lot about my heart and how it tends towards negative as opposed towards positive, okay? And so, well, not necessarily, but I could, you know, still have been more gracious than, like, thinking to myself in my head, like, he's an idiot, whatever, whatever, you know? Yeah. Hey, yeah. Or, yeah. Oh, he was going that way. Oh. Yeah, so maybe he was going to the hospital. Okay, okay maybe, we, maybe we figured out what went on. Okay. It really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. So, um... So the point of that is is that oftentimes our hearts are more geared towards um, seeing the negative and judging people than seeing the positive, right? Now, again, what he's highlighting is the difference between pride and humility, okay? It takes a prideful person, and I'm being honest with myself that I am a prideful person at times. A prideful person looks at another human being and degrades them in their heart and in their mind. A humble person looks at that person and sees something in common and loves them and cares for them. And so what he's highlighting here is like, like you're judging one another. Like that's arrogant. If God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, which one do you want to be? Obviously the humble, right? I don't want God opposing me. But what he's highlighting is it's like if you're judging one another, like let me just lay out for you why that's such an arrogant thing, okay? And he says, if you judge, you judge the law. 
But God is the only perfect judge, and he's the only perfect lawgiver. And so, basically, he's calling them, and he's just saying, like, like, who are you? Like, who do you think you are being a judge for, for the people around you? Who do you think you are degrading them? And, and I don't know what exactly he's talking about, what scenario, but I do know the church well enough to know that, like, more than likely that church was very similar to the churches today. Obviously, the context is different, but people haven't changed very much. And so I'm assuming that there were people that um, were tearing one another apart behind their backs or towards one another um, because he's talking, he spends that entire section talking about fights and quarrels among them. What causes this? It's arrogance, pride, not humility before God. And so he's saying, who are you? God's the perfect judge, let him judge. And God's the perfect lawgiver, so why are you judging the law? It's ridiculous, right? Yet I, I, can, I can relate with being that prideful, arrogant Turd that's just like, well, I'm no better than him, oh, you know, or whatever. Um, you fill in the blank, and really, I'm just showing my cards that I'm not humbled before God um, and trusting in His goodness and His judgment. I'm trying to make make things work for my own good, which is crazy. Okay, so um, next, so we're going to move into the application now. Um, so these are just a few questions, and that's it. Um, oh, there's four. Okay. Uh, are you a jealous and envious person? So that comes out of the first part, right? Um, the second one is, do you love the world more than God? That's a question that we can, all Americans could ask. Um, cause there's things about the world that are good, okay? I'm not like, not hating on the fact if I get a Jeep someday, don't look at me and be like, you love the world more than God, okay? Don't judge me, it just said not to judge. Um, okay, Aaron's gonna judge me, that's fine, she's my bride. Um, but, uh, uh, do you love the world more than God? Um, are you acting in pride or humility, and do you need to repent and draw near to God? Okay, so if I find through this passage, which I did, that there's areas in my heart that I'm acting out of pride and arrogance, then my call really is to repentance and humility before God and saying, I'm sorry about that. Or if, if I read through this passage and I see areas in my life where I'm trying to take things that I, des- I deserve, trying to take things without allowing God to give them to me, and saying, no, you're never going to give me that, so I'm going to force it. I, I need to repent. I need to like, like humble myself before God and realize, like, who am I? Who am I to try to force things? Try to make my life exactly the way that I want it and build heaven on earth for myself. Like, no. I'm called to so much more than that. So, like, I come back and I humble myself before God, and the beauty and the promise that we have in there is that when I draw near to God like that, what does he do? Yeah. Yeah. Because he's jealous for me. And the same is true for you guys. Right? So it's a super cool promise. It's, it's kind of like a um, reality check for, for us. Where it's like, yo, like, press the pause button. Every human being deals with this to some degree. So where is it in your life? Because more than likely it is in your life somewhere. Okay? Same with me. And, and, and the beauty and the promises is that it's okay. Humble yourselves. God's going to give grace. Draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. Okay? So there's three big points at the end, and this isn't on the sheet. So if you'll click the... Um, there are four big points. Okay, so humble yourselves before God, um, which we've already uh, beat that drum enough. Um, no offense, Caleb. He is enough. Um, you are enough. And what you have is enough. Um, so do you guys want to hear the story about the horse now? Okay, so 
Um, while I'm telling the story, the band can go ahead and come back up. Um, so there was a beautiful horse uh, that was owned by God. Okay, now this is this is a tale. Okay, this is not not true. Okay, it's meant to be a moral um, uh, a lesson. Okay, so do not go home and be like Jonathan told me this this the story about a horse in the Bible and God talking to the horse. And no, like this is a this is a tale. Okay, all right. So God owned a horse that was very beautiful, and God. Um, created this horse and loved this horse. And the horse knew that it was really beautiful, knew that it was really good, and there was other good qualities about it. But um, it always wanted to be better. It always wanted to, to be more beautiful. It wanted to be perfected, right? And so one day the horse um, talked to God and said, Hey, like, hey. yeah. Hey. hey, yeah, that's good. That's really good. We should just stop on that. That's a good joke. Um, so came to God, says, listen, or hey, um, I like think that the way that you designed me is great, but I think that like there's something like that's disproportionate about me, and I I think that if you made my neck just a little bit longer, that it would cause my upper body to look better, right? And and so God's like, really? And then the horse was like, yeah. And if you could um, lengthen my legs and make them more slender, I think that that would make my lower torso look better, right? And that I would be more proportionate all around, and I'd be more beautiful. So God, being God, was like, okay, so be it. And immediately, the horse looked down, saw that it had hairy legs, looked back and saw that it had a couple of humps on its back, and, and realized that God had just turned it into a camel. Right? And so, so the horse, that's now a camel, was very um, frustrated about this because it's like, what have you done? Right? I used to be a really beautiful horse, and now I'm just a camel. Um, and God, um, being God, looks at the camel now that was the horse, and he says, if you live a life of desire, you will always want more. And I've already made you enough the way that you are. And, and, and so what he was trying to get him to understand is, is that there's a purpose for the way things are, the way that you are, and if you'll just trust me and not desire more, 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 just trust me, humble yourself. So he turned him back into a horse, and he was very happy um, to be back to being the beautiful horse that was exactly the way that God intended him to be. So I say that um, uh, to to highlight in this passage that that what you have, what you don't have, who you are, like what you look like, and all that stuff. That there's a reason for that, and that God is good, and that that, that in His perfect timing, He's going to bring about His plan in your life. And all we're called to do is to draw near to Him and humble ourselves before Him. And to not look at Him like spoiled children and say, I want more, 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 more. Unless we ask for His glory, for His presence. And if those things come that are nice, like, you know, like if I got a Jeep or whatever, if they come, but I'm living in line with God and living in deep relationship with Him, and I'm using that to the glory of Him, which I don't know how that would work, but if I am, right? Then, then that's okay. It's not bad. But if I'm going outside of my relationship with God to get more, 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 because basically I'm saying to him, you're not enough for me, and the way you made me isn't enough. We're called to, to humble ourselves and to draw near to him. So we're going to sing a couple more songs. Um, and as we're singing, I just encourage you to kind of think through. Um, if there's any part in this passage that has hit your heart and you're like, yeah, like I can relate with that, Maybe this is some time for you to pray um, and to just be with God uh, and to just like bring that before him. If there's things in your life that 
uh, that you're trying to reach for and grasp for that, that aren't yet yours to have because God doesn't have it in his timing, maybe release those to him. Leave them at his feet. Um, or if you realize that you've been living in pride, judging other people, judging yourself, um, to humble yourself before him. Um, and the promise is, is that he'll draw near to you if you draw near to him. Okay. Thank you.